This morning, I am pleased to be able to introduce to you our preacher for this morning. Claire Cox Woodleaf is a lay preacher, a lay speaker within our conference. Um, we know her because she actually led New Consecration Sunday for us uh, in the fall of 2019. Lord, that was a long time ago. Feels like uh, ages now. But um, And she also served as the assistant du- district superintendent for our district formerly. She's currently the founder and CEO of CCW Transformation Ministries and also the co-director for the North Carolina Institute for Spiritual Formation. So we're pleased to be able to welcome Claire uh, into our pulpit today to bring God's word to us today. Thank you. It's good to be with you today. I see lots of familiar faces, and uh, it's always a blessing to to be in the house of the Lord with uh, good people, uh, God's good people. So our text for this morning, our Old Testament lesson, is Jeremiah 33, verses 14 to 16. Hear now the word of God. The days are surely coming, says the Lord. When I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved from, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this morning we are kicking off um, what will be your sermon series, I understand. Uh, Change is going to come. And today we're focusing on expectation. Our text is from the prophet Jeremiah. And a prophet, of course, is a person called by God to speak God's appropriate word. They were primarily speakers and teachers, not writers. And the preaching they did was called an oracle. Um, And each oracle was directed to a specific time, place, or problem and was passed down from generation to generation and eventually written down into the books that we now have. These oracles, or this particular one, was directed towards the nation and against foreign nations. And the Hebrew people believed in the power of the spoken word. If something was said in a formal way, They believed that power was unleashed and in the speaking that would ultimately bring the intent to fulfillment. And so this is why prophets were actually feared during that time. Jeremiah's prophetic ministry started during the reign of King Josiah and continued through Jehoiakim's reign and the exile of Jehoiakim until the death of King Zedekiah. And on the geopolitical scene, the superpowers of the time were Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt. And all of them were vying for power over the smaller states like Judah. 
Eventually, Babylon became the new imperial power, and the monarchy contributed greatly to Judah's moral and spiritual decline. Earlier prophets had been critical of the ruling class's greed for power and wealth at the expense of the poor people. So Jeremiah's message was not, um, was not new. His preaching against wickedness um, and power of the powerful was not a new thing. I don't believe that those entrusted with the care of determining what would be included in the, cam in the canon would have included the words of the prophets if they didn't believe that their messages were timeless and that there wasn't a relevant word for the people of God moving forward for generations to come. The book of Jeremiah exposes human pride in institutional power to warn the powerful to act responsibly. And Judah is addressed as a persistently disobedient child despite the prophet's constant warnings. So during this time of expectation, it's a good time for us to reflect. What institutions are we a part of that are not using their power in ways that align with God's desires? It seems that people of most, if not every nation, and of every generation are challenged with rulers who are greedy for power and wealth at the expense of the poor. There's a scarcity mentality that stirs up a fear that there isn't enough to go around. The rich get richer, the powerful gain more power, and the poor continue to struggle. And every generation justifies their greed of power and wealth and wickedness. We're not called to set aside our beliefs as followers of Jesus from the ways that we live our lives Monday through Saturday. Where are the rulers and the institutions? Who are those rulers and institutions that we support? How do these rulers and institutions use their power? Are they greedy for power and wealth at the expense of poor people? Or do they align with the hope and the promise of the righteous branch that Jeremiah is pointing us to that executes justice and righteousness in the world? In this first Sunday of Advent, we're in a waiting, uh, in waiting for a time for God to cause a righteous branch to spring up. This is a time of expectation. God will not cause just any branch to sprout up or to spring up, not a dead branch of the past. It's a branch of hope for new growth. The branch of David that we are waiting for is, of course, the branch of Jesus. Jesus does not lead with fear. Jesus does not lead with a scarcity mentality. The life and witness of Jesus is a ministry filled with hope. Jesus will come again to rule honestly and fairly, to set things straight. We are called to trust, to have confidence, to pay attention. During Advent, we remember and look forward to recapturing the birth of baby Jesus again. We want and we need to hear those angels sing of peace on earth and that it's in that realm of possibility. 
So the first Advent candle that was uh, lit this morning is the candle of hope. The candle reminds us of the hope that God gave his people when he promised to send them a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer. This candle reminds us that prophecies were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And it invites us to look down the road in hope to the day of Christ's second coming, when all of the promises that were initially fulfilled at his birth will be completely fulfilled. As we remember the past and look forward to the birth of Jesus, the celebration of the life of the fresh, true shoot from the David tree, we are not called to wait passively. Jesus will ultimately fulfill this prophetic word. But in the meantime, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to be about Christ's work. As United Methodists, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world by proclaiming the good news of God's grace and by exemplifying Jesus' command to love God and neighbor thus seeking the fulfillment of God's um, reign and realm in this world. I pulled a few quotes from the book of Discipline to remind us of how we can participate as this living into time of expectation. The fulfillment of God's reign and realm in this world is the vision scripture holds before us. And in the meantime, we are called to live into that greatest commandment. You must love your God, your love, love your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. You must love your neighbor as yourself. This mission is our grace-filled response to the reign of God in the world announced by Jesus. God's grace is active everywhere, at all times, carrying out this purpose as revealed in the Bible. It's expressed in God's covenant with Abraham and Sarah, in the exodus of Israel from Egypt, and in the ministry of the prophets. It is fully embodied in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's experienced in the ongoing creation of a new people by the Holy Spirit. As John Wesley and other spiritual forebears reminded us, when we have a clear sense of mission, God has used the church to save people, to heal relationships, to transform social structures, to spread scriptural, scriptural holiness, thereby changing the world. In order to be truly alive, we embrace Jesus' mandate to love God and to love our neighbor and to make disciples of all peoples. So we make disciples as we proclaim the gospel, seek, welcome, and gather persons into the body of Christ. As we lead persons to commit their lives to God through baptism by water and the Spirit and profession of faith in Jesus Christ. As we nurture persons in Christian living through worship, the sacraments, spiritual disciplines, and other means of grace. As we send persons into the world to live lovingly and justly as servants of Christ, 
by healing the sick, feeding the hungry, caring for the stranger, freeing the oppressed, being and becoming a, pa a compassionate, caring presence, and working to develop social structures that are consistent with the gospel. And as we continue the mission of seeking, welcoming, and gathering persons into the community of the body of Christ. So as servants of Christ, we are sent into the world to engage in the struggle for justice and reconciliation. We seek to reveal the love of God for men, women, and children of all ethnic, racial, cultural, and natural, national backgrounds and to demonstrate the healing power of the gospel with those who suffer. Justice means making things right, which is what Jesus came to do and will come to do again. In the church, we're pretty good at charity, but we often fall short when it comes to the work of justice. Charity is the giving to help the, those who are in need, while justice is the system which oversees that the concept of moral righteousness is applied to a situation when someone has become the aggrieved party. So charity is social service. Charity provides direct services like food, clothing, and shelter. Justice is social change. Justice promotes social change in institutions or political structures. Charity responds to immediate needs. Justice responds to long-term needs. Charity is directed at the effects of injustice, its symptoms. Charity addresses problems that already exist. Justice is directed at the root causes of social problems. Justice addresses the underlying structures or causes of these problems. Otherwise put, justice tries to make sure the mess isn't made to begin with. Charity is private, individual acts. Justice is public, collective actions. Some examples of charity, homeless shelters, food shelves, clothing drives, emergency services, Examples of justice, legislative advocacy, changing policies and practices, political action. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us that God will cause a branch to spring up. There is more to come, more hope to be revealed, more justice to be executed, more righteousness to cover the land. We've just celebrated Thanksgiving where many of us have gathered with family and friends and we may have participated in food drives to see to it that some of those in need got to enjoy a special meal. And that's a good thing. In the coming weeks during this time of expectation, we are in a time of holy waiting, a time of anticipation. As we wait in expectation, we are called to live in hope and to share that hope with those who may feel hopeless. How do we sustain hope in the midst of disappointment and difficulty? How do we keep from being completely overwhelmed by trials and pain? How do we maintain an attitude of hope 
when everything seems to be crashing down around us, when we can't get a break. We've all faced situations where it may seem difficult to maintain hope. Maybe we've lost our jobs or when we bro have broken relationships with family members. Some of us have faced seemingly hopeless medical or financial problems. Sometimes it may be tempting to give up hope. How do we hold on to hope during those times when our circumstances seem hopeless? We need to put our hope in God. Often we try everything else first rather than going to God. This morning we sang about Emmanuel and we'll continue to sing about Emmanuel during this season. Emmanuel means God is with us. When Christ our Savior came as a baby, he came to a cold, desolate world that had no hope. If you think about it, it's entirely appropriate for Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world, to have come in the form of an infant. Because babies are hope personified. They are full of pure potential. Their lives are all about the future. When we look at babies, we realize they can grow up to do most anything. The possibilities are endless. The hope of the world came wrapped in the swaddling clothes of the one who was placed in the manger in Bethlehem. But Mary had even more than the usual maternal pride to justify having great hope for her son. Remember, the angel Gabriel had visited her and had given her this promise, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. This promise to Mary echoed the prophecy of Isaiah, given seven centuries earlier. For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, when Jesus was born, God, had met, God made it clear that this baby was the one for, for whom the world had been waiting for, watching and hoping. What joy must have filled Mary and Joseph's hearts as they looked down at their tiny son, wrapped in blankets, lying in an ordinary manger filled with straw. What hope in knowing that this child was the one in whom all of God's promises would be fulfilled. What hope in knowing that he was the one in whom God's people would find forgiveness of sins. What hope in knowing that he was the one in whom they would find true and lasting peace. So in this time of waiting, in this time of hope and expectation for good things to come, let us prayerfully consider how we might be a part of Christ's coming into the world. 
How might we, as Christ's followers, participate actively with God to be agents of justice and righteousness? How might we share the living hope of Jesus with others? Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. So let us claim this future that our Lord has for us and let us share that hope in our bright, uh, the hope in our bright future with others. Amen.